thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I really appreciate this. This has been wonderful time being back in Hollister. It has grown. I've only been gone since like 1984, and so it has been uh, quite a while. But it is, is amazing to be able to see uh, just the, the, the growth here. And uh, the ministry that I'm in, I enjoy very, very much. I told people that I'm 64 now, and when we started and I was able to start going to churches, I just came back from the Appalachian region. And uh, the average church around there was about seven to ten people, and went all the way around absolutely loved it because there were people just in great desire to learn the scriptures and I want you to pray for these dear people in Kentucky, West Virginia and parts of Virginia as well and I'll be going back there uh, later on in this calendar year too. What I want to do right now is um, a bit unusual. If you have, uh, may I ask the ushers anybody, do you all have any access to paper or you can write a question about heaven. If you'd like to do that right now, we can collect those uh, here. What I do whenever I travel, I divide it up into like a 50% rule. I will teach uh, the first part as I did this morning, and the second part is it has happened over the course of the year and a half that I've been traveling. Somebody goes, well, now what you said has triggered a question, and I don't think you're going in that direction, and so I'd like to ask that. So right now is the time, and you can be anonymous, I mean, I'm not going to say, can somebody tell me who wrote that question, but if you have a question, if you'll put it down on here, and then we see uh, if uh, you can hand those in, or if you'd like to, after I go through these questions, if you'd like to raise your hand and say, listen, based on that, I'd just like to ask you a question here, you can also do that. And so, uh, would anybody like to get some paper, do you have access to paper and pen or anything like that? Okay, would you like to do that? Anybody like to do that? There we go. We've got to, we've got to, hey, they're, they're right on the ball here and getting things together here. If you have anything, and then we'll collect them in just a little bit if there's something that came along your line. And so I have some here. I was over in um, Fayetteville, Georgia about, uh, oh, I'd say about three weeks ago. And we started, and I only got about halfway through, and there were a number of those. And I said, can I keep those? These are some really good questions. And so I have some of those in which we'll start, and that might prime the pump. And you're saying, hey, listen, I'd really like, to, I, based on that, I have a question, or while we're going. Now, like I said, if a question comes up here, and I say, well, I'm not sure exactly how this is going, it doesn't usually happen, you know, you're usually really good on putting a question down. But I'm not going to say, can somebody tell me who wrote this? I'm not going to point you out or anything like that unless you want to volunteer. But um, write down these questions, and then I would ask in the same sense, get ready to write down the answer from the scriptures. One of my favorite passages within the past months is realizing Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, that the Berean Christians would search the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So they would see these things fine in the scriptures. And I tell people, it doesn't matter what a 64-year-old white-haired guy who does most of his broadcasting out of a barn is going to give you in his opinion. This is not an internal truth you're going to care about. But if I can give you something which will open up a door that you can study the scriptures here and see the answer, okay, we're going somewhere, and God's opening up a door, okay? And so we're going to do that right now. So I'm going to start off with some of the questions here go through these within the scriptures, and then, uh, then 
we'll take, I'll, I'll take a break and then if you have some questions here, then we just make this a very informal time of answering questions. And then during that time, I'll ask, does anybody want to raise their hand if you have a question here? One of the things that I had this last week, and this even came up just yesterday, was how many angels are in heaven? They said, I don't really care about the bad angels, the demons. So how many good angels? Do we have any kind of a hint on how many good angels are in heaven? And this is very, very intriguing. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. We get an ideal. That's what I want to say. As far as an exact number, no, we don't have a population count. We know this, Revelation 12, a third of them, as we see the symbolism there, were taken out of heaven. That's the demonic realm. But how many are in heaven right now uh, if we see the scripture? Well, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11 tells us that in this one particular scene, you have a very str a strong Greek construction. And it says in that scene, there were 10,000 times 10,000. Now, there's two thoughts on this that I've studied. One is, there's been a lot of talk that the, the largest number that the Greek language at that time liked to use was 10,000. They basically thought anything above 10,000 is too much to really bother with. So this could be just an exaggeration upon an exaggeration, okay? 10,000 times 10,000, that could be that. But one Bible scholar said, if I have the way that this is, he goes, I could be wrong, but as I know the Greek mathem mathematics on here, and when we see this construction here, this could be talking about over a billion angels. And I give you that reference there. We take a look in Psalm 78, verse 16, and it tells us that the chariots of God, that's equivalent to talking about the warrior angels. And it says there are thousands upon thousands of them. Jesus, when you look in Matthew, he talks to Pilate. Pilate starts to kind of, you know, uh, exert his political influence. And Jesus says, you realize I can send down legions of angels right now to enact my will if I so wish, wished. And in that uh, presentation of the term legions, there are Bible scholars that say, who are more exacting than I know as they look in there, and they said, this possibly could be, Jesus just told him, depending on whose source that you, that you have there, but it could be as many as 72,000 angels just for that one incident. I can bring down 72,000 angels just to free me here if I so wish. So you're talking about some massive numbers. Luke chapter 2 and verse 13, the shepherds are in the field and it says there was a multitude of the heavenly host. So we're talking about, we continue to talk about these big, big numbers. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10, it says before the Lord on the throne, the ancient of days on his throne, there were a thousand thousands, that's actually the phrase, that were serving him and 10,000 times 10,000 that were in front of him. Now, at all that, what's the number? Well, we don't know, all right? But I will tell you something intriguing. Every one of those angels has something that they would equate. No matter what the number, there's one thing very intriguing in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 that it says. There's the angels, every angel wants desperately to understand something. They desire to look on. And that's how we become redeemed, how the plan of salvation works out for the human realm. The angels are looking at that because this is not how they are in their estate. And it tells us that they desire to look into that. It's a very interesting passage, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, that they want to do that. Next question. I know our saved relatives and saved friends 
that have died are in heaven. And they underline saved and saved. And so I, I thank them for that. They're making it clear. We're only talking about Christians. My question, is there a verse in Scripture that says we will see them someday? Yes, there's more than one passage. And this is a very, I would say in here, and a quick note, I think better than half of these, that was the specific question. Will I know my Christian loved ones in heaven? Will I know my saved uncle or my grandmother or my child or my sibling? Is there scripture that can give me comfort that I will know that? Yeah, first of all, we would say this. I will receive this question. I'm going to back up and then walk into it uh, in a way. One of the top questions I have that goes along in this is, I lost a little one. I lost an infant, uh, a, a, a child, uh, one because of a childhood disease or something. And this is almost every other place that I meet, this will be a question. We lost a child. Uh, that was uh, maybe a month old, a couple of weeks old, will we see them in heaven? And the answer is yes. I'm just going to tell you right now, and I'll give you the scripture why. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, is the first one that I will tell you. David has lost the infant. This was a sinful situation. Nevertheless, the, 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 the baby was the innocent one, okay? And God says, and David is trying to appeal by going into mourning, by going into great humiliation before the Lord, but the Lord takes the child anyway. The servants came over. I don't know what servant would have the nerve to do this. They said, Sire, I don't understand. You were mourning while the child was still alive. And then now that the child's died, you're getting up, you are eating, you're washing your face. And I don't understand this. And David says, am I going to be able to bring him back? I will go to be with him one day. Now, this is very important. He gave an identification by gender, which means he is pushing toward identification. I will see this child and recognize in the spirit of prophecy. And he says with assurance, would we say that, we, that David, the apple of God's eye, went to heaven? I would say so. And he's saying, I will go to see him one day. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 39 is also another one. In there, you have in Deuteronomy, the uh, children of Israel are moving into the promised land. This is a magnificent parallel of us moving into heaven. And Moses is told the rebellious ones aren't going in. But Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 39, there are other passages, but this is a very strong one. Those who had no knowledge between good and evil, they get to go in. They have an automatic passage in there. In their innocence, they will not be blamed. And we see this in Isaiah 7 as well. Before the one knows between the right and the left, the good and the bad, things like that, they are considered the innocent ones. And so, yes, you would see that. The second thing is, okay, will I recognize those? No matter what their age, will I recognize uh, my saved, my Christian loved ones in heaven? And as I said, yes, the scripture does give us a real assurance of that. So let me give you some that you might want to write down. And remember, now you say this, okay, I don't know that I need that, but I always tell people, write the, let me, let me explain something before I go on. After my brother passed away and I started writing down these scriptures, I started, and I'm going to encourage you in here, to make a Bible encyclopedia of heaven. This is exclusive to the subject of heaven, and it's homemade. I tell people, what I did is I went down to a store, and I uh, took a, a blank journal uh, on here. It would be just like this. This costs about four and a half bucks. And every five pages, you put another uh, a letter on it. Okay, You walk right through the alphabet, and you put it on here. So when you go through here, these are all, and I'm not sure if our friends at home can see this, 
but this is not a diary, and this is not doodling, and I don't put down here how I feel about this. This is brutally the passages that you would get answers on on heaven. So if somebody says, I want to ask you a question about angels, I'll immediately know that I can, while I'm on the phone with them, I'll go to A, or do I see my loved ones, and I might have it under F for family. It depends on what you want. But I would encourage you, because you might say, this doesn't apply to me, but I am pretty sure you're going to run into somebody, and it will apply to them. And this is where you become a counselor. You become a, a, a sharer of God's holy word, and it's very important. And this has helped me numerous times. As a matter of fact, my students through the years will write me back and say, I was at a Starbucks, or I was over here, and I, and I had this. Uh, a girl said, I had this in my purse. And then somebody started asking questions. I said, if you don't mind, I'm going to pull this out. And I was going through. She said, thank you for having me uh, uh, put this together as a reference. So here we go. When we're talking about this, would we recognize uh, people? And so I want to encourage you to write these things down. Will we recognize them? All right. Um, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. Jesus is talking to the, uh, the Pharisees. There's other people around. And he says something. There's a lot in there, but I'm going to stick right with this because I don't want to go too far out. And he says this. In heaven, you are going to sit down and recline at table. That's the significant Greek phrase. You're going to recline at table, which means you're not only just going to eat. You'll converse. You'll share food. You'll laugh. You'll share stories, such as was the first century Jewish culture. But you're going to sit down with, in heaven, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I want you to follow this. They were just referred to in heaven by Jesus with their earthly names. So the first thing is we're seeing something which comes up in other passages. You will be recognized in heaven, and the reference continuing through there is you'll retain your earthly significance. Now, Revelation 2.17 says you'll receive a new name, but as we see the consistency through the scripture, such as Simon was now called Simon Peter, in addition to his earthly name, you're given a new name, but you still retain that, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Second thing, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are father, son, and grandson. That's a family. Jesus has said, you're going to sit down and recline at table, which also means we're going to eat in heaven, which is also great. That's a good, that's a good subject as well. But you're going to see that. Matthew chapter 17, cross-reference of Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9, Jesus goes up before Peter, James, and John and shows his glory. You might remember this as the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus starts showing his godness, not godliness, but godness, his Shekinah glory, which is the heaven presence glory, when he does, two residents of heaven come down and stand on either side of him, Moses and Elijah. Peter names them. Now listen to this. Moses has been dead for 1,400 years. Elijah has been gone for 900. And yet, the recognition of them by their specific earthly names is not interrupted by Jesus. He does not say, you don't know what you're talking about. This is obviously true. And so, there's something even more significant there. Not only would you recognize them, Peter and James and John had never seen them in their earthly life. As I said, they had been gone for centuries. So I tell people, not if, if we follow the scripture, and I'll give you some other scriptures, not only will we recognize our saved loved ones that we knew on this earth, you'll recognize people you never met. And they'll recognize you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12. Paul says, I will be fully known even as I fully know. 
And in that inference is saying, I will be recognized and I will recognize. And so he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, one of the great joys, crown of rejoicing that we have in heaven is that I will see you in heaven in the presence of Jesus. Great joy and rejoicing to me. He's talking about recognition. And he's talking about those in his age. But we see it carries even further and it takes you outside of that age. Will you recognize loved ones? Of course you will. Scripture keeps talking about this. Always remember this. Always remember, and people tend to forget this when they start getting angst. Heaven doesn't get worse. Does that make sense? And when it hits, right? So you say, I know them, but I'm going to forget them. That wouldn't make it better. You know, I love them and their loved ones. Everything we see in heaven, and I know this sounds oversimplification, but we tend to forget this. It's like what I talked about this morning. It's going to get better. Remember, in all things here, Revelation 21 and verse 5, Jesus says, I make all things new. Unprecedented is that word. The Greek word is kainos, and it means unprecedented. You've never experienced it before. Your relationships will be even deeper. Why? Well, you've got a better body. 1 Corinthians 15, 53, you have an incorruptible body, which means it's free from sin, so you don't have any bickering or anger. You don't have any uh, uh, sickness or pain or isolation, uh, anything like depression, things along that line. So you're, you're, you're better. You're, you're getting along a lot better, all right? And then you're also away from the fear of death. Immortality is a part of this, releasing us, as Hebrews chapter 2 says, the fear of death, which has enslaved some people so much longer. So we see this. It, it's in here. You are going to have a better relationship with all of those. And this is talking about this. Yes, you indeed will recognize them, and you will be recognized. All right? Okay. Now let me ask, does anybody have any questions that the ushers could pick up right now to bring them up front? I'll continue with these, but if you have them, if you'd like to go and, and then have those, uh, and, and I'll leave that, you know, however you'd want to pick those up and take them up there. This was a good question that came up, and so while we're gathering some here, this person asked this because I do a lot of studies and my podcasts deal a lot with the book of Revelation and end times. Fancy word, eschatology, makes you sound, thank you very, very much, I appreciate that. It's an, it's, yeah, it's the same color as everything else here. So, so. Person asks this, when we were talking about end times, how do you determine what is literal and what is figurative? When you go to the book of Revelation, how do you know? Well, it, it's this. When you follow the context, you're going to see two of the most repeated words in the book of Revelation, in, in King James English and others, is like and as by John, because he's not sure what he's seeing. Are those really giant scorpions he's seeing? All right. Does this person really have feet that are actual brass? It'll say, I saw things coming down as if it was a mountain. Was a literal mountain hitting the water? You see what I mean? He's trying to use these terms as best he can. I always tell people, this is the Ben Franklin illustration that I use. We're going to take ben, ben out of 1776. Ben, you got one hour. We're going to give you one hour. We put a watchtower in Times Square in New York. Use your writing utensils. Well, he's not going to use point pen. He's going to use his stuff. Quill, parchment. We're going to put you down. Write what you see. Look anywhere. Just write all you can in an hour. You're going to go back and report it back to 1776 to those people. What words will he use? Like and as. 
How's he gonna, how, how is he going to fully describe somebody running with Adidas or Nike sneakers or a helium, a mylar balloon or neon lights right in the middle, a traffic jam, all right? LED lights, stereo music. He's going to write in the term of what he knows in his culture and say this large thing, which would be a Greyhound aluminum bus going through there, how's he gonna describe this? Okay, so you see what I mean? He's gonna go the best he can. So it, when you start getting that idea, you start seeing these things popping out. But it's the other thing, always remember this. When somebody says it all has to be literal or it all has to be figurative, and I've heard that argument, and this is, doesn't even make sense on the, on the secular scale, because it's like this. I come in and I'm talking with Rick, and uh, we're going down to Hollister. <clears throat> and he tells a funny joke, and I'm talking to you, and I said, I died laughing. Really? Okay. No one here goes, oh my goodness, and you have resurrected. All right, we understand. That's very clear when it's figurative. And so when we take a look in here, if there is something that is, well, it's close, it could be one way or the other, follow the context. A good rule when you're reading, especially in Revelation, is this. The part in context, read the entire chapter around it. Read the previous chapter and then read the following chapter. You have three chapters to surround that and you're gonna get an idea whether it's moving into the figurative or the literal. But for the most part, just remember, John is writing to the best of his ability in the context of his time. He's writing in things which are post-2024 as I'm talking and he's writing and this was signed, sealed and delivered 92 AD. So if you follow that, that kind of helps you out. I'm now going to look at this anonymous one here. Okay, being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How do we resolve that? In that day the dead shall rise. Oh, I love this question, okay? This is a very, very good one. We're gonna take this over to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And this, this is a question that will come up on my live stream classes on YouTube and TikTok uh, almost every week. And somebody says, okay, you're saying that when somebody dies and they're going to be in heaven immediately, and I'm looking at this passage here, and it says the dead in Christ shall rise first, all right? So how do we resolve this? Very easy. The bodies stay. The spirit goes. Acts chapter 7. Stephen is being stoned to death. And as he is breathing his last, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Body's still there, broken and bleeding, okay? They take away his body. My mom died three years ago. Her body is in a grave in Delaware, but the moment she died, she's in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23. I repeated it from this morning. If you were to look at Mount Zion, which is another name for heaven, you would see right now, if you were to look at Mount Zion, heaven, you're going to see, and it names four entities right in that one verse. You would see God the Father, you would see the New Jerusalem, you would see countless angels, and you would see those enrolled, the saints enrolled, the spirits of the saints made complete or perfect. They're there right now. Luke chapter 15, they are celebrating in the presence of angels when a sinner repents. Well, what is this talking about here in the day the dead shall rise? The physical body will go. First Thessalonians talks about what, you may have heard this term rapture, and a skeptic's going to say, the word rapture is not in the Bible. You're absolutely right. It is a Latin term to describe an event in there, okay? 
When somebody starts picking, you know, and they start saying, well, I didn't see that term, I didn't see the word Trinity in the Bible, and I say, hey, you know something? I come from Tennessee, and we got a problem over there with meth. The Bible never mentions meth. Therefore, it must not be prohibited in the Bible, right? Nobody would agree with that. You didn't have the specific name. We have enough principles to know that that's a danger, right? Okay, so when we talk about general terms, sometimes they're used outside the scripture, and the term rapture is from the Latin. It's talking about a forceful snatching. The Greek word is harpazo, and it means this, we're, a forceful snatching. If I was here and we were going through uh, Washington, D.C., and you know how the traffic is there, and Brother Jeff and I are, are walking, and he is looking at a monument, and I see a, 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 a tour bus coming, barreling down on him, I am not going to say, dear brother, and I'm going to speak in high English to him, perchance thou mightest be hit by thy, the truck. All right? Okay, I'm going to grab him by the collar and pull him away. It's a forceful snatching for safety. That's our podzo. Forceful snatching, okay? Now, when that happens, that is the bodies of those who had died prior to this. See, 1 Thessalonians, this was the question in the context of the scripture. There were people asking, when you go through this book, they are saying, Uncle Joe died three years ago, and Jesus didn't come back. Aunt Shirley died seven years ago. Did they miss it? I mean, has this got to be a balance of time? Do you have to be here alive and then jump, and then God's going to take you on some holy trampoline or something like that? Did they miss it? And Paul goes, no, let's talk about this, okay? Their presence is in heaven, but their physical manifestation is still on earth. It's going to join. Now, the incident as it's described and introduced in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, and start about verse 13, it says, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive, we're going to go and meet them in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Okay, that's the incident and the description of heading on up there. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the speed in which it happens. Twinkling of an eye happens immediately, and then it tells you the condition of what happens. The body meets with the soul, and now the condition of us heading into eternity and the presence of God is now in an incorruptible, immortal nature. So what this is saying here on this, the dead, the bodies of the dead, the physical manifestations, reminding you what Stephen said, okay, receive my spirit, but his body was still there. They did not watch his body go on up, receive my spirit. If you follow these other passages here, you will see that it's talking about there is in the present heaven right now, my dad, my oldest brother, uh, my mom, okay, they're at perfect peace, as with the Old Testament saints who went there, their faith saved them. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about that. Their faith was made into righteousness, okay? So they're in heaven right now, and they're in a place of peace and safety, but that's not the permanent location. The permanent one is what some scholars will call capital E, capital S, the eternal state, and that is the new heavens surrounding the new earth. And that's when we will be there, both spirit, uh, well, soul, the, the, the life spirit, the soul, and the body will be together, all right? Um, we'll, this is probably of the top five questions I received. This might be at times number two. And somebody in here is going to go, oh, yeah, I've been wondering about this one. Will our animals be in heaven? You would think of all these different subjects. This is one of the most, most oft-asked questions I'll receive, at least in the top five in the years that I've been doing this, uh, these, these different ministries in the past decade, really. All right? 
So I want to give you two parts to this. Number one, let's go general. Will there be animals in heaven? And I'm amazed at how I've heard some wide opinions by Bible-believing pastors, and one was a nationally known a decade ago, and he goes, absolutely, there's no animals in heaven. And I said, I'm saying this with all respect, then you haven't read the scripture, okay? Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 25 tells you when the new earth will be created, you will follow that, and you're going to have a movement between the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom in the books of Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah in chapter 65, and then in chapter 66. Amazing things, but it tells you, at verse 25, that on that new earth there will be animals. Now, the millennial kingdom, which will come right after Christ comes down to earth, it introduces a whole, you have an example list of animals in Isaiah chapter 11. And Bible scholars will tell you that Every, we have every instance to believe, and I'm just going to leave this as a suggestion, that the millennial kingdom, the best of the millennial kingdom, will open up into the eternal kingdom, which gives us the idea of this sweeping in, these animals, that you have a list here, about 14 different animals will move. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, out of heaven comes Jesus on horses and the saints on horses, and so we've got animals there. I mean, it's really hard to say, no, we don't see them, plus follow the principle as you are, you are students of the Bible, and you, you know, you're, you're not illiterate on this, and you will notice patterns, and you will notice uh, structures in the Bible. And I tell people this, when you stand back and look at all of, uh, all of the books, you have 66 books, and they're broken on, down into 1,189 chapters, all right? The first handful of chapters tell you about this experience of walking with God in this paradise, this is Genesis in the opening chapters. Then you have the fall and this mess. Then you finish up and you have Eden restored, you can call it. God walks with mankind here. God walks with mankind there, right? There are plants in the Eden. Are there plants in the new earth? Yeah, it even says it in Revelation chapter 22. talks about plant life. There are rivers that are described in pretty good detail here. There's river, riverways described in pretty good detail here. You keep seeing this pattern, pattern, pattern. If all these things match, there were animals in here. Okay, you see what I mean? And, and so you have this very, very strong both principles and specifics in here. Now, the second part, now we get into something else. But will our animals be here? Now, I've got three cats at home. We actually had five. Two went on to the great beyond because they wandered too far from our property, and I think a bear got them. We're out in Hick area, right? And so, uh, and all. But I have three feral cats we adopted. One is a good mouser, and he's Smokey Joe. And then we just adopted two away from danger, and there were two Siamese, and they're about this big, two little girls, and one I call Princess Leia, and the other one's Queen of Sheba. And they will come up, and they will sit on either side of my laptop, as a, and sometimes if I'm on here, and I think some of my friends here had said, they'll see these uh, cats come in and out off the screen. They know the, the keyboard's a no-no, but they'll come over here, okay? And we really like them at our house, and my daughter comes home, and I think my daughter right now, believe it or not, I think that uh, my wife and my daughter are actually watching this live stream right now uh, back in South Carolina. And uh, 
my, uh, and, they're, and they're greatly loved. They're greatly loved at, at our house, all right? So they're so nice. They got to be in heaven, right? What does the Bible say? Listen carefully. I'm going to give you three very important words that will help you understand. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And I need to be biblically honest with you. If the Bible is silent, I will be silent. Here's the reason I say that, and that sounds, too, sounds idealistic, and I'm not trying to be, you know, overly pious. But here's the thing. In years past, I have heard preachers from the pulpit say, absolutely not. There are no pets there and everything. And don't think about it. Pets can't get saved. They don't go down to the altar and ask forgiveness for their little cat sins and everything like that. All right, and it all sounds good, but the thing is, here is the problem, and this is, this is at least my obsession. Does the Bible say that? No, it doesn't tell you. So I would doubt it, but if I'm going to hold to what I'm doing, I can't say that. But I also want to share something else. This is a very dangerous thing, and I'll use this, and you'll hear me use the particular person because there's a point to be made. There was a story that came around, and I first read it about 10 years ago. This is the story, and I want everybody at home to understand. This is a story that I heard, that a kindergarten girl, maybe some of you have heard this, kindergarten girl wandered up to Dr. Billy Graham years ago and says, Dr. Graham, Dr. Graham, will my kitty be in heaven? And Dr. Graham looks down and he says, would it make you happy? And she says, yes. He goes, then it will be there. Number one, I have done a study on Dr. Graham. There is no way he would ever, knowing his, his uh, background and his doctrine, there's no way he'd ever said this. I don't for a second believe it's true. I think it's an urban legend, and I think his name was attached to it to give it validity. I do not believe that story whatsoever. Number two, here's the other reason. Yes. Do you understand the doctrinal can of worms if you were to say that that's a valid statement? If it makes you happy, it's going to be there. There is nothing in the scripture that says that. And I'll tell you a little side note on this. About a year ago, I have people writing in during my, my broadcast, and they'll post them, uh, post comments, as, as you would know. And one lady said this, I am knowing that I'm uh, having people watch, and you can find it in my comment sections. And a lady said this, to me, heaven is going to be this. Get this, this is her definition. I am going to be, says this lady, on a beach, in a lawn chair, surrounded by my pets and my relatives, drinking non-alcoholic pina coladas. I am not exaggerating. That's exactly what she said, and I was stunned. And I said, you need to come back into the conversation. Where do you feel you have any right to make God a celestial bellhop? Over here. Do you understand when John first looks into heaven in Revelation 4, what is the first and foremost thing he sees? The throne of God, and there is a joyous worship around it. Ezekiel chapter 1, when he gets a glimpse into heaven through the firmament under the floor, the crystal floor, what's the first and foremost thing he sees? He sees God on the throne, and the angels are celebrating him and worshiping him. Isaiah, when he has a glimpse into the, the tabernacle, the holy tabernacle, he sees God on the throne and the seraphim is right. Are we missing something here when you say, I'm going to, and I'm going to surround it with what I want? I said, this doesn't make any sense when you look into the scriptures. 
and she basically came back and said, and somebody else was trying to say, whatever makes you happy will be in heaven. I said, that is a lie from hell. Because I have had them, friends, in my ministry, people deep into sin, including pornography. You're going to tell them, whatever makes you happy, you can have it in heaven. Really? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all, and it would not be accepted uh, in, in a conversation about, about heaven at all. God has these things, and so you go, but if this is not here, if my pet is not here, and this has actually happened, somebody will start to say, I was actually in a Bible study with about 30, they crammed in our house in Tennessee on a Friday night after the football games, and we had a Bible Q&A. And one girl said, I want to know, is my pet going to be in heaven? And I started going through this, and then she got real defensive, and she actually said this. She goes, this, she had a real problem with her parents. She was really rebellious at the time. It all came out later on Christian, but it's a real attitude problem. And when she kept pushing on this subject, and she finally looked in defiance in the rest of the group and said, this is the only entity in this life I love. That was a very insulting to her parents and her siblings, who were also in there. The only thing I love is this pet dog. And if this dog is not in heaven, then I, don't, I said, ma'am, you will not finish that sentence in my house. How dare you start to say you're going to qualify heaven as only being acceptable if you have your pet. What's the alternative? You're going to have this pet on a leash in the other place? Does this make any sense? Everything? And then I said, you're not thinking about what you're saying. Now, if I don't know, isn't there confusion? Well, what, God can't be a liar. We talked about Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. What does it say? No matter what it is, Psalm 1611, if we're in his presence, we have fullness of joy. That's a guarantee. Psalm 1715, when we see his likeness, we'll be satisfied. There's complete satisfaction. Uh, Luke chapter 16, we will be in a condition of comfort. Matthew 25, in a place of joy, and we're with others. And so I think it's pretty clear, whatever happens, we are going to be more than satisfied with the condition of what's brought there. It's like I'm saying this, the only vehicle I will ever like is my 1967 tiger-seated spider bike that had gears on it. And somebody says, did you ever want to move up to a car? No, I don't want to talk about any other vehicle. This was everything, and I could ride back and forth on the back streets in our little town in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And that's the only thing. And, and other adults are like, okay, he's not really there. All right, you see me? And there are people saying, this is the only thing, and this is all I'm going to cling to. So you have no idea of uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9, of the great joys that God has, which are still unmentionable because he's keeping them as a, as a celestial surprise, do you want to say this? As a great mystery. Paul talks about 2 Corinthians chapter 12. These things are mysteries, but you'll see his great joy in, in, in heading to uh, the end of our life and seeing this boldness here. When we go through these questions and others, here is what I will receive a lot. I know we're just talking about this, and I'm very afraid of heaven. I'll have this sometimes, and maybe somebody's in here like this. It's just a, a lot of the unknown, it, it is fearful to me. And I said, well, let me explain something, and this might help you before we go back into the scriptures. There's a fearful time that I have every year 
And I want to share this with you now, if I might. My wife, when it starts getting cold outside in South Carolina, my wife and my daughter think it's funny to bring a tree in the house, put it in the corner, and act like it's going to grow. I get greatly anxious about this. And then they start wrapping it with stuff and putting these electronic illuminations around it. And then they put up this music box that has this repetitive sound just to irritate you. Then the worst thing is, they come around and they start slyly looking at me and they put things in boxes that are meant for me and they won't let me open them. And they cover that with paper to make sure and they tape it. Then they bind it and to further torment me, they put my name on it. And I run screaming through the living room because they keep doing this and I'm just so anxious, so anxious. And they'll go, ha, 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 you can't open it till we say so on a particular day. I am in, I, I, I get heart palpitations and everything because why would they do this? Why would they do this? Every year they can, all right, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Would anybody say this is the worst time of the year because at Christmas time that they are putting down mysteries, little mysteries around there, and I can't open them? It'll be like this. I'll point at that and I'll say to my, my college-aged daughter, said, I think I know what that is. And she goes, I, you, you can't open it. Dad, you can kind of nudge it and everything. But trust me, you'll like it, and I do trust her. And I've never really had anything, everything is always beautiful from my family members. But she says this, but you can't open it now. You have an idea, but you can't open it now because it's not time. You will get to open up, but it's not time yet. And you take this over with what we've been talking about, and God says, I have this here, but I can't grasp it. And it's for you, but I can't really grasp it right now. But what is it? And I want to know more specific. There is not enough room in the Bible to tell you of just one joy in one area. God says, you're going to have to trust me. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. This is for, for those who love you. You can't even imagine what I have. It's just not time yet. But when the time is revealed, oh, be beyond anything. You ask me. Isaiah 56 and verse 5 says this. This I found about a year ago. And this blew the top of my head off, okay? Really expanded my heart in great joy. Isaiah 56 says this. <clears throat> you follow Yahweh, you follow Jehovah. I don't care, says God the Father, whether you are a national or you're a stranger, whether you are of our culture or you're an outsider. You follow me. I'm going to bring you, verse 5, within my house, which in the Hebrew can say home, within my home, and on my walls, I will make a memorial for you. And I will give you a name better than if I were to call you a son or a daughter. An everlasting name that will never be cut off. You take about a week and just study that verse. That is an absolutely astounding verse. I was speaking in Wall Hall of South Carolina. And uh, the pastor was out of town. And so the deacons had me over. Or deacon had me over to their house for, for lunch. And my daughter went, my, my wife, as I told you, has Epstein's bar, and a lot of times she's limited in travel. So my daughter went with me, and they went over, and they were so nice to us. So my daughter went in the kitchen with the, with, with the, the lady of the house, and they were just getting things out. And so uh, the gentleman by the name of Cliff, he's probably about in his late 70s, says, I want to show you something. Now, I bet some of you have this, or you know people that have this. I want to show you my family. And that hallway that always goes down to the bedrooms, you ever see that? About 90% of the people do this. They put pictures of their family on the wall. You ever seen them? They do that? 
this is Brad, this is my grandson, and, and this is uh, my granddaughter. Here, and then here's my son after graduation of college. And, there's, and all the way down the wall, you know what it is? It's a memorial, Isaiah 56, 5. God says, you follow me, you're part of my family because you're following the invitation to salvation, and you're in here. I will put you as a memorial on my wall. And I thought, that is an amazing, amazing passage there, and one of great truth, too, all right? Now, let me stop right here in respect of time and ask, is there somebody that might have a question right now in here? And I'll go to one, and I want to respect the time, sir. Should I be wrapping it up right now, Mr. Jeff? Thank you. Thank, thank you. Is there, is there anybody has a question right now? I'll look at these uh, uh, down here. But somebody has a question, you go, hey, look, while you're, you're here, and I want to ask you something, and I'll hear. And then somebody says, well, we recognize others in heaven as earthly family. Thank you very much. Earthly family members, and we talked about that. Just remember uh, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. Uh, father, son, and grandson, we'll talk about that. Thank you very, very much. Okay. Hmm. When Christ comes to earth to reign for a thousand years, will any mortals die? Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Um, the, the scripture says, but when they, it, it tells you that the, the lifespan will be so long that if one were to die at the age of 100, others are going to say, that's a child's age. It, it, the, the lifespans will expand uh, in the millennial kingdom. If so, where does the soul go? It would go to heaven. It would go to heaven. Uh, th that would be there. There is a, a, a lot of conversation among Bible scholars, and it's open, and there's no doctrinal problem with this, but there's a question. If you died right now, Christian, and you went to heaven, do you stay in heaven during the millennial kingdom? And fully, it's almost like this, 50% say yes. If you're in heaven, you stay in heaven because you wouldn't be re reintroduced back down to the earth where there's sin. But on the other hand, it does tell us that the saints come down with the Lord, and they're following him, and the intimation is they're going to continue on down on earth. And after he wins, and he sets his feet down, and that's going to be in uh, fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 14. When he sets his feet down, then the intimation is then the saints will come down there, and they'll populate the new earth, which are, or the millennial kingdom, I'm sorry, the millennial kingdom at that time. And so there's, an, there's a, not an argument, but there's a discussion back and forth, which is very intriguing there. But we do know this. The, the unbreakable destiny of the believer, no matter what the condition, is always going to be in the glory of the Lord, of the believer in Christ. So it, it asked here, would they go to hell? Well, what, and note, there's no, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You would not have that. There would never be a, a, a danger with that. The back to earth or heaven, that's the one discussion. And that's really where I stop. We just don't know for sure. Uh, what that would be, but there's really no doctrinal problem. Like, well, if you say this, this is really gonna be a problem doctrine. No, it doesn't say it like that, okay? Will people who are disabled be made whole or people who are born disfigured be made whole? Will a child who died continue to grow, be an adult? Let's start with the first one. This is a very, very good question. They'll be made whole. Will a child, a, a believer, uh, I have some very dear friends, and I won't say their name because uh, they, uh, a number of them are watching this tonight. And uh, they are, but some very dear people that I know, and uh, some have, and I've met them as I go to, to meet with them. And just within the past months, uh, there are some that, that are, are, are bent over from scoliosis, 
we have a dear man. He wouldn't mind if I told you right now. Uh, and he just wrote this afternoon and said, I'm looking so forward to seeing you in Pennsylvania. I'm going to go up and speak near Harrisburg in about this, this coming weekend. And he came in and, and he melted everybody's heart. And he came down and he has had a number of back surgeries. His name's Doug. And he's probably in his late 70s. And he came down and it takes him minutes to come down the aisle and all. Okay, will he be made whole? Yes. Yeah, the Bible says this. Um, you, you will see. Uh, let me give you the scripture on this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 53 we will be made incorruptible. And corruption is uh, a, a disease, an illness, a breakage, uh, a neurological setback, a depression. Revelation 21, 4 says there's no more depression, no more pain. You know, a dear one that I know is bent over from scoliosis. And the other day I was with a family when I was speaking in another state and this person could hardly even look up because their spine is bent so harsh and your heart just breaks for these people, but uh, they will repeatedly say, there will be a day, there will be a day when I'm not gonna have this anymore. You will be made, we will be made incorruptible. As a matter of fact, you can also add this, Revelation 21 and verse 27, on the new earth, nothing that defiles. And defilement is actually the breakdown of our natural bodies, that's a defilement. There is no curse, Revelation 22 and verse three. And is it not a sickness, an illness? That is part of the curse of the fall, was the sickness. It is gone, either the temptation to sin or the effects of, of sin are also gone. Will a child who died continue to grow or be an adult? Uh, it, when it comes to children uh, along that line, when they, uh, when they die, the growth, let's just say this, when I go in the Bible, I do not see anything in the Bible in studies that says when a child enters into heaven or on a new earth, they will grow. The millennial kingdom, they will grow. The heavenly realm right now or the new earth, there is nothing intimated that they would grow. Also, there is no evidence. I'm just saying what the Bible says. There is no clear narrative of children in heaven. Again, if we're going to follow the Bible, let's follow the Bible. And I gritted my teeth a very respected Bible scholar of generations ago, I was reading some of their writing and they said, children of heaven, of course there's children in heaven. Heaven would not be heaven if you did not hear the sound of infants. And I thought, sir, stick with the Bible, you know? I mean, I know that sounds very romantic. It sounds very peaceful, but it's just not biblically backed. We don't know, all right? So this. But the next question comes on, and it's a very good one. Will we grow in heaven? Really comes down to, you know, at what age will we be? Well, the first thing we want to know is 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 says, as I said this morning, you cannot equate earthly time with heavenly time. A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. And you see that God, Isaiah 57, 15, who inhabits eternity, controls time. Time does not control him. And we know, we know, we know that when we leave this life, we will enter into a new realm, which includes a new standard of time, a new dimension. Time will be in a whole new dimension. Of what way? Someone says, well, there is no time in heaven. I hardly disagree. Well, I can show you the passage where it says there is no time. And then they will quote uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 6, when the angel says, time shall be no more. That's an unfortunate translation. That term actually means the delay will be no more. It does not mean the time. How can you say that? 
because the other scriptures clearly show you in heaven there is time. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. John is in heaven, everything gets quiet, and he is able to measure in units of time. He says it's been quiet for about the space of half an hour. Was it exactly 30 minutes? We don't he's saying approximate, but he has the concept of time in heaven. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the newly redeemed, the redeemed just walking in heaven, not newly redeemed, but the newest ones in the heaven, they go in and they ask the Lord, they are asking God the Father, how much longer will injustice go on? They're asking him in reference to time, and they're in heaven when they're asking, and he answers them in units of time. He goes a little while longer. Then you go to Revelation chapter 22, and it tells you that the fruit will be bearing in a unit called a month. Different fruits will come out. So there is the uh, measurement of time. It's just I'm going to remind you, the whole algorithm is different in heaven than it is on earth. Okay, Just as the idea of things will be there that we are familiar with on earth, but it tells you everything is going to be unprecedented, and that includes time as well. And so will, some, will a child be an automatic adult? All I can tell you is what I can tell you in the Scripture. Every reference to a being, a redeemed one talking, is being presented in speaking in adult language, intellect, and everything. We don't have any children being pointed out or uh, in, in a rhetoric like that. So I leave it at that. If God has elected to go another way, that's fine. Obviously, we're going to be happy with it. We just don't know. And I want to say that, and, and sometimes this will happen. Somebody will shake my hand afterward and say, I want to say something. I appreciate you saying I don't know. At least you're being honest with us. Don't try to. And I, so that's why I go away from speculations and I don't go into dreams or near-death experiences or visions or anything like that. We want to stay with the scripture. So if it's there, I'm going to share it with you. And if it's not, then it's also, you know, it, it's something I want you to know as well. Okay. Um, does anybody have another question? Uh, here that you want. Yes, ma'am, go right ahead. No, not at all. It's the condition. See, we want to remember something here. The question to my friends that was asked by the young lady in the audience was, is there a conflict if we're saying that there is people that will go into heaven not having knowledge between good and evil? You correct me if I'm saying this wrong. They don't have the knowledge between good and evil, which would include either children or those mentally disabled, and yet there is no mention of children in heaven. Is that a conflict? No, it's just an area with which we've not been. There would be no conflict there. It's just I'm saying what we do know. What I do in my ministry is just telling you, if it's clear, I will tell you. If it's not, you know, for example, yeah, I want you to understand this, and I'm not trying to be facetious at all. We know there's trees in heaven, and we also know they're going to be unprecedented trees. Okay, so are these trees going to be 20 miles high? I don't know. And somebody goes, well, you just said that trees, 
but I don't know. It's just that these will be unprecedented. Does this mean they're 20 miles wide? It's just that we know that in a reference, we will recognize this now. So we go as far as we would know this. This is a good point you brought up, the mentally disabled, because this gets asked too. I have a very dear friend, a pastor friend, whose brother uh, from birth until he died at about the age of 65 had the mentality of probably a six-month-old, could not dress himself, had no concept of reading or of right and wrong. Does he go to heaven? Did Lloyd go to heaven when he died? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, because he had no, no concept of right or wrong. So age, chronological age, does not limit or promote in any direction. It's just there, you know, with that. God's grace uh, covers that as well. When you're saying, okay, in the presence, you know, if a child died in innocence, and so we don't see children, this is the one thing. I have to say this. I'm just saying the Bible does not display children in the scriptures. I don't see it. You know, when it says, what do we see? We see angels. And then do we get to hang around angels? Well, yeah, you know, we sing alongside them, Revelation 15. John uh, is told in Revelation 22, 9, we'll be co-laborers with them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 3 says, we will actually judge angels. Well, then how far, what, what does that mean, judge? I mean, do we get to send some to like a temporary prison or anything? Doesn't, you know, we just don't know. It just gives us this general things. We have authority over them. And that's the same way. We go this far, and then we leave that to God's further explanation there. I hope that an answer, and I appreciate the fact, it's like, okay, well, you know, we know as much as we know, but the Bible is, does not take it any, any further than that. Thank you. Thank you. Very, very good question. Does anybody else, you just want to raise your hand and throw out a question? More than welcome to as well. Uh, yes, sir. Okay, the first one, uh, the gentleman had asked if I read any NBE books, which would be near-death experience books uh, from the time. I don't make it a habit anymore. I, I have read Life After Life. I do believe, I think the professor one, I'm familiar with it, the name escapes me, but I did do some reading sometime back when I first entered into this, kept it on the side. I go pretty obsessive with the scripture, but I will look at other sources at times, everything. <clears throat> Here's the reason why. When somebody goes into, and I'll name titles, but then that's going to draw people in and say, ooh, that title. But let me say this. There are NBE books written all the time. That's part of my research, okay? Virtually every year. Here is the problem that I run into if I was still unsaved. I didn't get saved until I was 17. And I was a skeptic up till uh, very close to that. And I wanted to find any alternative. And here's what confused me even as a non-believer at the time. He says, when you go to heaven, everybody has wings. He says, 
when you go to heaven, it's a giant garden party. This one, and I'm not making this up, says, in heaven there's a warehouse of all the body parts that people did not receive because they didn't pray for them. This is what one person. They are so widely diverse that there is no standard. In other words, everybody says at once, oh yeah, when I get to heaven, we all have size 10 feet. Or when I get to heaven, we all get to uh, uh, shake hands with Jesus. We all, there is no connection of them. And I have you know, studied this. And then, but the biggest thing is this. If anything conflicts with the scripture, it goes in the trash, as far as me. If anything conflicts with the scripture, there was one put on. I'm being very careful not to say titles because people then get into the weeds on this. But one was about one who went into heaven and they said they saw grandma, grandpa, and other people and they were all just having a great time and, eat, and everybody had wings. Well, that immediately, that's not worth it because the Bible is very clear. There are, two, there are two entities in heaven, angelic entities and human entities. And we do not become angels, all right? Uh, despite it, uh, the only thing, and people get confused, Matthew 22 says, the only similarity that would be allowed in our reading is that angels don't get married in heaven and have angel babies and everything, and we do not procreate, we do not get married, Matthew 22 from Jesus, okay? So what I find is if somebody starts introducing yet another book, and this is really something else, and I've actually had people in counseling sessions say, I don't need to read the scripture, I'm reading this book. Seriously, you're going to base it on somebody. And we have at least two and maybe three situations where the authors admitted they lied. Okay, so now we don't even have a validity among some of these authors of these things. There are so many things that cause concern because they're based on experience. And always remember this, and this is not to get paranoid about it, but this is always something for the Christian to keep in mind. 2 Corinthians 11:14. Satan will disguise himself as an angel of light. The reason I tell you this is I had a neighbor. After I got saved, I walked across the street in our little town in Delmar, Delaware. We had an older gentleman across the street, and I was witnessing to him. And he says, Brad, you're a very nice boy, but I want to tell you something. About a year ago, I was in my room. I came home late, and I was in my room, and an angel came through the doorway. And oh, what a vision it was. And the wings are scraping the top of the bedroom and coming in. And he looked at me and he says, Herman, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So I know you want to teach me something from a book, but I saw an angel. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm being absolutely serious. Mr. Toller was the town drunk. And I have no doubt he was in a stupor, but it was so vivid to him. But this is all the angel said, not Jesus anything. It's going to be okay. And I'm Mr. Toller that experience, you know, the Bible, I, well, you know, I know what you know, but I know how I felt. And I thought, you know, later on, then I, when I came across 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, Satan's going to disguise as an angel of light. And this angel's telling him, you don't need to worry about Jesus or repenting, Mr. Toller. You're going to be okay. And I thought about that. Now, in all respect, there are those that have had a near-death experience that write in a secular plane of what the afterlife's going to be like. Okay, those physiological experiences are intriguing to read when you see somebody saying, well, then I started feeling this and I was brought back, you know, and, and I have a number of people uh, through the, oh, I'm not saying hundreds, but I mean a number of, I would say at least a dozen friends of mine, first name acquaintances who are ER uh, medical personnel. And they tell me, 
on a weekly basis, on a weekly basis, someone in the ER says, I died and I went to a destination. But they told me, they said, always tell your friends this, as many in the room, because they don't talk about this in the, in the larger public, will tell us, I died and I was sliding into hell, as will say, I was dying and I was heading into heaven. They said, a lot of people don't talk about that other one, but the, but the ER nurses were surrounding me one time after I spoke to a youth conference, and they said, you need to tell people, yeah, it happens on a weekly basis, somebody screaming, uh, I'm heading into hell, I'm heading into hell. So all of those situations, where do we go? This one woman says that she went up into heaven and Jesus says, look, everybody makes it. There really is no hell. This other one said they went over there and they became one with the rose. I'm telling you actual quotes from these books. They became one with the rose and realized this is really the extent of nature. We're going to become one with the gardenia, you know, of, of all of the, uh, the, the landscaping. We're losing ourselves. You're going into a utopian Buddhism type of, of an existence. Where do you get your standard? You get it in the scripture. And with this, you know, we let scripture speak first, and that gives us our assurance of these things. And so I just tell people, you know, when they come to me, and this happens on a regular, somebody says, I had a vision. Was God talking to me? And I said, before you even describe it, does it have anything to do, would it be anything that would collide with the scriptures? And the one man said, well, you know, uh, God told me to divorce my wife. I said, well, it's, you know, it's not a valid, because the Bible's very clear on this. Right? And then he starts getting emotional. Okay, oh, you're getting angry because I just gave you a biblical answer. This is not what you wanted. All right? You came to me to tell you what you want to hear. And that's the same way with a lot of these things. That this is what I want to know. I want to know it's going to be okay and I can still live like this. So those are the dangers. So when you read those and, and, and tell your father that the best thing to do right now is to take a hiatus from those and go to the scripture, such as I've done on this, and study the afterlife as from Yahweh himself and what he wants you to know, okay? Matthew chapter 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you, and you're going to see a clarity with that. Would that, would that help you out, sir? That's it. If you have any other question on that, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm fair to you on that. And this was, this was in no meant to be a denigrating response, but it, it is a very serious one, too. I have so many people say, you know, you can have your Bible, but this is the hottest book on the shelves, New York Times bestseller. And then, you know, they come back, and, and it's, not, it's just something that tickled the ears. So I just want to make sure that, you know, there's an approach to it. Absolutely, absolutely. Did that, Rick, do you have a question? Uh, uh, sorry. Oh, good question. Okay, uh, and uh, the gentleman here, probably the, the most handsome one to our people here that, that's in here, striking, I can hardly think. I mean, he, this guy's just a, you know, profile. Um, Rick has asked, uh, those that have gone into heaven, would they have any, correct me, would they have any recollection or did they have any knowledge of what's going on on earth right now, correct? Okay. We only have two passages in the scripture which would give us any idea of a principle around that. The first one would be in Revelation chapter 6, which I quoted earlier, the newest entrance, E-N-T-R-A-N-T-S, the newest people entering into heaven, the believers entering into heaven, then say to God the Father, why is injustice still going on? When will you enact justice? 
intimated in that narrative is very clear. They're saying it hasn't stopped. And God does not correct them. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're here. You have no recollection. He says a little while longer. So when you follow the narrative, they're saying they were martyrs. They were martyrs. They had died. Why is it still going on? So there is a principle. I'm going to say this very carefully. There's a principle there that they are aware of what has gone on or may be continuing on there. And then I stop. But it, that, that's one. Second one is in Luke chapter 15. And it tells you in the presence of angels, meaning there are two entities in heaven, the redeemed and angels. It says in the presence of angels, there is rejoicing over a sinner who repents. So it's telling you in heaven, there's some sort of heavenly alert system that when something happens on earth for a, a sinner repenting, that there's a communication in the heaven on this happening, which is very intriguing because about a year and a half ago, I found out they were sending back uh, these statistics, uh, these analytics about, um, as best they could, from surveying around the world. Listen to this. Uh, and and it, this is, I know this is outdated. It could be more. But the number one country, continent, country uh, as well, in, in the world for Christians, people coming to Christ per day is Africa. 28,000 people a day are coming to Christ. China is second with the one I saw, 22,000 per day. So they're continually celebrating in heaven, even though it would be a heavenly time. It's constantly going on. Those are the only two passages that I can say with assurance in the scriptures that those in heaven know something, something going on on earth. To the specifics, we can't say. In other words, does Uncle Joe see me standing here with a pen in my hand, speaking to Rick right now. There's nothing in the scripture that, you know, does Aunt Shirley say, don't eat so many eggs, you know your cholesterol. She's not looking at me in the kitchen in the morning time. All right, there's nothing on that, no, no specifics on that. But if there is another general, it's just that we're not told. They, there is some communication between the two. But then I stop there. When I start going into speculation, it starts a slippery slope. But that's, that's all we know. They know some things. But how specific, we don't know. Now, some people, I'm going to push it a little bit further because people say, well, you know, my uncle was in heaven for 13 years. My uncle and Anthony died in some sort of a situation, okay? And it's been 13 years. You know, do you think they're looking down here? And then as they go through, I said, tell me if I'm wrong, but here's what you think. They're up there going, it's been 13 years, you know. Uh, what are you doing down there? Okay, but first thing, do you really think with everything we're talking about in heaven that somebody's going to go, you know, something more interesting is down there. That's the first thing, all right? We're so taken over. That's the first one. And then the second thing is the Second Peter 3 8 principle is time is different, as I've talked about. If I follow the principles, and I am not going into speculation where I have any fear, but if I follow the Psalm 90, a thousand years is as a passing of the afternoon, or a thousand years is as a watch in the night, and the Second uh, Peter 3 8, if I follow those mathematical principles in there, I have no hesitation in the doctrine and saying, when my brother died 12 years ago, he stepped into heaven, if I followed those two passages, and he took a look at the landscape of heaven, and is looking around, and about the time he took a second sweep, my mom who died three years ago, he turns around and says, mom, can you believe this? All right? As he just took one vision, 
if I follow the principles of what I told you in this passage is, there is no one that would dispute that, that it might be. He is just getting his first glimpse of his heavenly minutes in heaven. And my mom, who nine years later stepped into eternity, is right at his shoulder. That's something else. So the second thing is, they don't have enough time to worry about what's going on down here. Because in that sense, 13 years, how fast is that in heavenly time if we follow the scripture? So those kind of things. I, I don't want to confuse anybody. Did, did I lose anybody on that? I didn't mean to. But, uh, but, but I find it to be very, very strong. Does that, does that help out, Rick? The, the handsome gentleman, uh, he's satisfied with the answer here. So for my people that are watching. Very good. He said, he, he's, he said I have good taste, and so uh, um, I'm getting compliments here. Um, other questions? Very, very good questions. Sir? Uh, absolutely. The question that the gentleman has just asked is, correct me now, he's saying, in the area of terminology, where do we put heaven? How, how, how does heaven expand? Does it, does it include the millennial kingdom, uh, eternal, the eternal state, and things like that? Very, very good question. Okay, so when you follow the lines of the end times, <clears throat> uh, you get a delineation, which through the times we have different terms for the afterlife of the believer. One was Luke 16, Abraham's bosom, which actually means Abraham's side, which is intimated in the rhetoric that the Hebrews would say, Abraham is sitting at the banquet hall of God. And the most favored, as you know, in, in those times, would sit next to the guest of honor, okay? So you get to sit next to Abraham. Okay, so it's called Abraham's bosom. That's a term for heaven. Then you have paradise, which we talked about this morning. That's another one. And then you would also have um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the term of Sheol, which would be just be the grave. You know, you, you'll go into that, okay. So your question is, and correct me, Kate, how far, how many times can you stamp heaven into this timeline? Well, you see this. <clears throat> the term for heaven in, uh, in uh, the Hebrew is shamayim, and it means the lofty place, okay, the existence above, which means you're off of this realm and you're there. And then it goes to oranos in the Greek, which means almost identical, okay? It just means it's not of this world. And I mean in a good sense. I'm not being generic just like somebody goes somewhere, okay? It's saying this. You are brought, Christian, you are brought into a safe place, all right? Heaven starts being intimated in the, what, the best thing I can tell you is it's the present heaven right now. If I were to kick the bucket right now, okay, as a believer, I would go to the Oranos, all right? Is this the permanent location of the, uh, of the believer? No, no, because... 2 Peter chapter 3 gives us very clear the present heavens, and you still have this term heaven, okay? The present heavens and the present earth will now be taken down to the smallest molecule allowed in the Koine Greek language. Yeah, Jesus calls it in Matthew chapter 19 the renewal or restoration of all things, all right? So that's there. So now heaven technically gets a new presentation, though it's the same word, because now it will forever be called starting in Revelation chapter 21, the new heaven. So it's almost as if it's one word. It's not, it's a phrase, but you are not going to call it the present heaven or present heaven. It's kind of like the river 
in Revelation 22 is no longer just a river, it's um, a river of water, it's the river of the water of life. It's not earthly water, it is now a celestial liquid that is a great mystery, but it, it brings the vitality to the belief. The same thing with the new heaven, now we're in it, and it's a constant reminder, this is not the same abode of the redeemed. This is now a whole new avenue, you know. York, England, New York, America. Okay, cities, but this one's a lot newer. This is a real bad example, but you get the idea. This is a city, this is a city. Are they the same? But they're different, you know. And so heaven, I mean, they're in peace. They're without pain, but then the new heaven, God will no longer exist and live in that abode, okay? Paul calls it the third heaven because the Jews of that day said, first heaven, atmosphere, lightning, clouds, birds, kites. Second heaven is atmosphere, um, outer space, Jupiter, you know, everything. But the third heaven, even unbelievers said, well, now that's where God lives. That's, that's where God lives, okay? At that time. Then in Revelation chapter 20, it says, before the throne of God, heaven and earth flee away. And that's where Bible scholars say that's where this renovation happens, which then opens up to the new place where, get, get this, God no longer lives in the heavens. He lives on earth with us, okay? So now it's no longer the lofty in the, in the term that you're using, which would be the abode of God, which is where we're going to go, because we're not going to heaven starting with Revelation chapter 21. Heaven will be on earth. Make sense? We will now live on earth, and that will be heaven, but we're surrounded by the new, and now the term heavens means firmament. The surroundings, you know, are on there, and so that would be the... Does that, that help? Yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it, it's, it's utterly fascinating that we will be down there, and God's going to be walking with us on this new domain. Other questions? Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay, okay. We have a heckler down here, uh, my live stream. I want them to see it. Uh, a lady is calling me names. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Mr. Dean is asking, you're saying then um, the condition of the adult in heaven, if we're all at one particular age, such as you would say, for example, 25, we're at our optimum health and maybe possibly our optimum uh, uh, growth in intellectual, uh, would we be like that? Is that what you're asking on it? Yes, uh, you'll follow. What I can tell you is this. Rather than going by earthly years, and I know that's not what you're saying, but the earthly years uh, would be in, I'm sorry, the earthly years, we're going to put that aside, the chron chronology, but what's the condition of the body? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 53 says, number one, you're going to be incorruptible, which means what you're not going to have, okay? You're not going to have the genetic disposition to cancer or fatigue or irritability or things, okay? So... That's the first thing, is the negative part of the positive result is that this is what's not going to be. Just like Revelation 21.4, no death, no pain, no, okay? So you are pain-free, uh, Revelation 21.4. You are anxiety-free. You are tear-free.
free, God will wipe them away, which also intimates the personal walk with God with you. And then uh, you have also the immortal existence in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. We're not going to die, which also puts us in. Think of the anxiety. Dostoevsky, the writer, said this. Every minute of every day, the thinking adult knows, knows somewhere in his cerebrum that he's going to die. Think about it. In everything we do, oh, I can't drive too fast because I could get killed. Or, I, you know, we can't go do this because there's a danger to our safety. This will be gone, which gives us a whole new attitude of thinking. But the very intriguing thing, Janine, that, that, that comes up in, if you read, start in 1 Corinthians 15, start with verse 50, and it starts off with a magnificent opening. It says, we will be changed. Now, you start reading through there and read, and I don't think I shared this morning. Did I share about the seed? I don't think I did. <clears throat> if you read this, it's stunning. It tells you that the difference between you now and you then is the difference between a seed and a full-grown tree. This was an epiphany that changed my ministry when I realized that passage. You want to read this. Because right now, you're very, very talented people. You have creativity. You have opportunities. You have abilities. You have all these things. And somebody goes, oh, look, this is a Renaissance person. I mean, you really are gifted. Think about this. And the Bible says, and Paul, and Paul says, that's just like a seed bound by a shell. We're in the shell, right? And when does the true life come out? When the shell breaks, death. Then the inner part starts to grow. Now follow this very carefully. The difference between you now and you in eternity is the difference between a seed and a full-grown plant. Tree, all right? And I'm sitting on the back deck when I lived in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, when I hit this, and I had a seed of an oak in my hand, and there's an oak there. It's 40 feet tall, spreading out of half the backyard. And I thought, you have got to be kidding. This is something we could contemplate a long time. This is, the, this is as best I'll get on earth. And I'm telling you, there are brilliant people in here. There are talented people. There are things you say, what can't they do? And God's kind of chuckling and saying, you have no idea, Christian. This is nothing compared to what you're going to be. That will help you understand. I, I, I would encourage you, that passage is very, very powerful. A plant here, it will break open from this restriction of death and mortality and sin. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, everything's under the curse. And then it says, Revelation 22, 3, that nothing has a curse in heaven, which means you finally are free to be able to start, you know, expanding what God wants you to be before the fall. And that difference of that 40-foot tree in here, and I thought, oh, my, that's a visual, you know, of, of, of the reality of what we're going to be. Does that help you understand that? Yes, go ahead, sir. Start at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Start moving down through there, and you're going to see the analogy of the seed uh, on there and the expansion of it. Start in verse 50, and it'll start with, we shall be changed. Then start moving through there, and then pick up all of the truths down into the seed. And then you're going to see, they're going to say, how does the resurrection come to life? And he says, don't you understand? He uses a very strong term, you fool. If you remember that, 
Then it starts saying, do you understand? The seed has to die. It's going to open up and it's going to go. When you follow, and I, I started following the, the narrative and the explanations by the, uh, by the, the, the leaders, uh, uh, the, uh, the Bible scholars, and they said, do you see the analogy of the, the seed? Leaving the seeds over here in the dormant corner, they'll be that way. But once it starts expanding into the word and, and the reality of heaven, then there's going to be the potential made into the, the kinetic. Uh, it's going to be there. Stunning. Absolutely stunning stuff. Thank you for the question. In all seriousness, it's a very good question. Other questions, friends? I want you all, if you can, and I'll close with this. Would you do me the favor right now? One of two things. If you would like to be in our newsletter, if you want to write down a scrap of paper, your address, I'll take it back, and then we'll get you on the newsletter on here. But the other thing is, if you have your phone right now, would you go over to YouTube and then uh, put in the Heaven Tour, and that is our ministry there. And what you'll find is we just cleared a 1,000 videos. They are one minute long. Everyone's one minute long, and they're based on the questions that people will ask me about heaven. And what happens is I found out, even at 64, I've been approached, like I went back to Knoxville, Tennessee, and one of my former students comes and says, I want to introduce you to my wife. She goes, I know you. And if some of you know, I always wear a baseball cap. She goes, you're the man with the baseball cap that answers the questions about heaven. And I said, uh, yes, ma'am, I am. She goes, oh, I, I know more than you would think. She says, the funniest thing, she says, I like this thing about 60 seconds or less. She says, and then we found this out, that the average person right now in the social media would rather watch six one-minute videos than one six-minute video. And she said the same thing. She goes, and I'm sitting down, and my husband said, well, this is Dr. Zonko, and he was my teacher and everything, and I start watching. She goes, before I knew it, he had turned the light off, and he fell asleep, and I'm on number 45. Just kept, couldn't stop. And I thought, well, thank the Lord, you know. So you might say, I might, these will help me. But you also tell, because there are people that will not get near the Scripture, and that was what this was designed for, because I bring them into the Scripture, but they say, look, I don't want to get preached at, I don't want anybody doing this, but hey, I'm okay with that, because that's a bite-sized thing, and that's where the ministry opens up. So if you might do that, that would be a great help uh, for people to be able to learn, maybe get some answers there, too. And on the website, if you go in and you put a keyword in the Heaven Questions section, all of the videos that I've done that would handle that particular thing, we've made so you will get those on a particular Sunday, too. Okay. But I want to thank you uh, very much. I'll be uh, flying out tomorrow, heading over uh, back home. I'll get home just before midnight, uh, back to South Carolina. Uh, plane travel, not the way it used to be. And so, but I'm thankful for that, uh, that I'm able to get back and be in prayer this coming week. I'll be going back up to Pennsylvania and I'll be speaking in the Harrisburg area, and then after a two-week break, then I, I take a swing through the south. I'll be going into uh, Mississippi and Alabama, and then over into the Carolinas and, and things. And so it's been a really, the Lord's opened up a lot of doors. And I just really covered your prayers on that just for safety and uh, just for the opportunity uh, to be able to counsel people that might either be non-Christian. This morning we had a, we had a non-believer in here uh, that came in. Uh, and I want you to be in prayer, and that's going to be anonymous, but it was told to me that we had a non-believer coming in here, and uh, just pray that the seeds of truth will put on that person's heart, and that happens on almost everyone. Someone brings in and says, they're not a believer, they're very confused, I want to know, you know, and we're just praying that something here 
you know, just might fall into their heart, you know, a seed. So be in prayer about that. But thank you. It's been an honor to talk with you. I, I really do appreciate this. I know that you could have done anything or had anybody else come in here and you asked me, and I take it very serious. And so I commit to uh, studying. I, I dedicate time each day to make sure that I am as biblically accurate as possible. So thank you so much. Let me close this in prayer, okay? Father, thank you that you have been so kind to us, and we pray just as uh, you have given us salvation, you've given us hope, and we, when we lose somebody, we don't grieve as someone who does not uh, have this hope. We have this joy and promise of the future, and you who cannot lie, give us these promises. We pray now that we might find peace and, and maybe some answers here in the scriptures of things that might have bothered us or caused us to hesitate or uh, taken away our boldness. Lord, please uh, help us to see your word. I pray that none of these words were on my account, but they were truly your words. And we pray that you would bless this church, bless the leaders and the congregation, and that this might be uh, just a wonderful ministry within the heart of Hollister. Thank you so much for just your salvation and just these promises of heaven. And we thank you for this, and we give you the praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you so much.